Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwanga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks, man. How are you? I am vastly better. I have recovered from the cold that many people kindly wrote to me about. Um, what? No one wrote to me about it. Yeah, people clocked it. They were like, ah, sounding subdued, sounding a bit under the weather. So yeah, I did get written to. That was my get well cards. Oh no. <laughs> Never mind. No, no, it's fine. I think yeah, I had it yeah. uh, milder You're than not you did. Enough. You're not dramatic enough. You didn't make a big drama. You feel better now, though? I do, actually. Thank you. Yeah, much better. Good. Yeah, yeah. Is it because your beloved Manchester United ended their six-year trophy drought? <laughs> it's partly that. I'm just, re- I'm just really or happy. Or is it because for- of all the Carabao that you drank this weekend? <laughs> Getting in the mood. <laughs> I did find, actually, I did find a dangerously tasty, you know, there's like sort of Cut those, you know those vitamin drinks they've got in Berlin where they're like, oh, uh, it's a meal instead of an actual, like, you know, there's like sort of, you know, those vitamin coffee meal yes. drinks. Very, very much a Monday morning post Bergheim workout. Ryan, Ryan. <laughs> this, it was, it's scary. I thought, oh, let me try one. It is scary how tasty these things are. Did your arms, did your arms start like bulging up like Popeye? <laughs> yeah. Like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I'm a new man, I tell you that. Wow. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're better. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you feel even even more better. And what's that? How? I owe you an apology. Oh no! <laughs> the eager-eared listeners who were quick off the draw might have heard that first edition of Thursday's Stadio, oh, in no. which you mentioned something about Danny Carvajal passing the ball back to Courtois for the Real Madrid goal. Uh, sorry, yeah, under, pr- goal. under pressure from Gakpo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in my head, I had. I was convinced that it was Nacho and I leapt to the defence of Danny Carvajal and said, no, 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 it was Nacho, although Nacho wasn't actually on the pitch yet. So, first of all, I apologise for incorrectly correcting you on a podcast. Uh, no. Second of all, as soon as we realised, we cut that bit out, so a load of you who listened would never have heard it because... <laughs> it was my fault too because I remember, do you know what it is? Because I was mentioning later Alaba, because I was mentioning Alaba's sub, wasn't I? And I was going to mention no, how he subbed for Nacho. No, 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 listen. Just take it. Okay. It was all my fault. Don't worry about it. Oh, no. Um, Also, thanks to everyone who sent us the alternate angle of the uh, Leipzig handball in the Man City game. It didn't change our mind. It did not. (laughs) In fact, we're doubling down. We doubled down. Hey, in the words of Limmy, don't back down, double down. (laughs) Listen, if you show any weakness, Musa, they will smell blood. They'll come for you. They'll come for you. (laughs) <laughs> oh, have, to um, find, have to find me first. Uh, any- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can tell you've had a few ginger shots. Yeah, exactly. I'm different. I'm hyper. Yeah, I'm back. You know when people say like you're different when you're hungry. 
you can tell when Moose has had a few ginger shots. Exactly. <laughs> Powered up. Do we need to do any admin? We don't need to do any admin, do we? I don't think so. You're going to be on Righty's House with Flo. Admin, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're going to be on Righty's House with Florence and Ian. Um, and we'll be back on Thursday with Stadio. Maybe, should we do a mailbag on Thursday? Cause oh my only- God, it's so, you know, this is so funny you should say that. Really? I've literally been thinking for the last two weeks, we have to do another mailbag. Well, there you go. That's so funny. We'll stick a tweet out for questions. In there. Yeah, 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 definitely. You, we should do a podcast, you and I. We should. <laughs> we should do. Today we're going to do a quick roundup of some games that happened around Europe this weekend. We're going to talk about this um, government white paper that dropped last week, late last week, about regulating English football. Yeah. Because it's quite interesting, I think. Very, very indeed. Very interesting, yeah, yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more later, but initially I was kind of like, okay, yeah, okay, okay. What's the catch? Was like, what's the catch? There's always a catch. What's the catch? I did, and, yeah, it's uh, one of those I things where you see, sometimes, you see, yeah. sometimes things can be okay. Who knows? We'll talk about it in, in part two. The headline um, is, it's really nice to see a paper written by people who seem to really care about football, right? Uh, well, yeah. well, well, it just, but then but, we, we say it all the time, it's like, as lawyers, like the execution, right? Talks cheap. The execution. Yeah. Because look, even like just a, as a headline thing, it was like, oh yeah, well, this is here to like preserve the Premier League position. I was like, mm, if you execute some of this stuff like you want to, it's going to threaten the Premier League's position. And it's going to threaten some of these established interests. And I'm... <laughs> and Moose has then said, I'm absolutely here for it. <laughs> I heard the lawyers of every major Premier League club shuffling their documents and, and sharpening their pencils when I saw that, actually. Well, you can save that thought when we talk about it. I will. But, um, other than that, hope everyone stays safe, staying well. Mm. Don't forget to check the uh, Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify if you want all the music we play on each episode. That playlist is like 25 hours long now. It's deep. That is a long time. That is over one full calendar day, which is wild. And uh, don't forget to check the ringer.com, obviously. All right, so should we do our, should we do some roundup stuff after this? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. All right, let's do it. Musa Okwonga, would you mind if I began in Germany? We have because, to begin in Germany. We have to. Do you want to know something fun? Since Dortmund won, last won the league, this is only the second time in 10 years that Bayern have not had a points lead after 22 games in the Bundesliga. That's unreal. That's unreal as a stat. Yep. Uh, it was 19, it was 1819, I think it was, or 1920. Let me find out. I've got it here. It was. 2018-19, when Dortmund had a three-point lead after 22 games. Uh, that was the only other time since Dortmund last won the league that Bayern haven't had a points league. It was a top-of-the-table clash this weekend. It was first versus second in the Bundesliga. It was also first versus second in the Zweite Bundesliga. And also, it was quite cool because in France, it was second versus first. Mm. But um, Bayern beat in Union 3-0 in a very snowy Oh my god! Arena. Everything was against Union, wasn't 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 it? Everything was against them. Uh, yeah, it was a weird game. This I thought because the opening twenty minutes or so were were mega good, and mm. Union, I think, held their own. They just looked a little bit tired after Thursday, which I can understand. I mean, if you 
Do you think like Union going through against Ajax 3-1? With a performance like that, yeah. Yeah, in the Europa League tie after keeping it 0-0 away from home. It must feel like even though it's Bayern away and you're second in the table going into the weekend, Dortmund won on Saturday, so they actually went top of the table. But um, must feel like a little bit of an emotion. It must be hard to get up for that. This is almost why it's not that bad a defeat. Because I tell you why. Because in the yeah. context, if you look, if someone said to you, in order to beat Ajax in the Europa League, sorry, uh, yeah, in Europa League, it means losing away at Bayern. You would take oh, yeah. that. You take oh, it yeah. because actually. Yeah, yeah. It means you can kind of say, well, that was the week that was, as opposed to you beat Ajax, you have a couple of like other strong games, you come up against Bayern and are kind of like, you know, oh, we're in the title race now, which, which Union still are. And then two, let's say that like this, it's much better to have this cluster of fixtures than lose to Bayern like two weeks later when you're on a run of games and a run of form and can really dent you, can write this off almost as a kind of, well, it's just part of the fatigue. And the truth is actually that there's two factors here. The first thing is, you look at Bayern's bench for this game. They had Gnabry, Mane, Cancelo and Sané, all of whom came on. That is a ridiculous bench to reinforce against Union at home. The other thing to mention though is that Union were, by their own high standards, not at their level. Because there was a very, very good chance, there's a very good chance when they're 1-0 down that um, Laiduni misses. That that, that, that Union, basically at their best, they score that, right? Mm. We're not the most efficient because their game relies on efficiency. It's almost like a Mourinho type vibe where you get one or two excellent chances per game, you put them away, you're fine. And Becker missed a very good one at 3 0 down, yep. admittedly. And Lyduni missed a very good one at 1 0. And like four, five, three, four minutes later, Bayern get the second and that's it. It's good night. Mm-hmm. So they can look at this game and be like, yes, well, we're tired. They had superior resources and we still didn't quite perform to our level. And I almost think they go away after this game and recharge and go, look, we're only three points back. We should still go for the league. This takes a little bit of pressure off us mm-hmm. um, because now it's Dortmund and, and Bayern duking it out because their goal difference is vastly superior. Yeah. And this actually allows Union to kind of creep along in the side lane, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I think it, I think. I, not yeah, the worst totally, result Because I feel like the focus of, for Union is just, year-on-year year progress. Yes. You know, and I think if they get into the Champions League this season, that is a year-on-year, year, a very literal year-on-year year progress, getting into Europe at all with the Conference League, mm. getting into the Europa League the year after. Going into the weekend, like, pushing for the top of the table with Bayern, yes. in going into March, they're three points off the top of the table. That is just a frankly wild progression. It is, absolutely, on, yeah. In the space yeah. of, in year-on-year. In year. Um, but they, it's thoroughly deserved. It's not because a load of clubs are dropping the ball or the Bundesliga table is all over the place any more than usual. Mm. They're there on merit and they're there. They are very hard to beat. I mean, the way they dealt with Ajax over two legs, Ajax, Ajax. right? It's ridiculous. It's it was it's unbelievable. Um, but the Bundesliga is is really really hotting up because you've got you've got a few weeks to wait before Bayern host Dortmund. Mm. Can I just say, before, before we go on to the rest of the Bundesliga, very quickly, just a quick shout to Thomas Muller for his outstanding performance as a creator. Not so good as a finisher against no, I was uh, say, he had a couple, yeah. But, but his, this is, it was so funny because in this game, we saw the full range of Thomas Muller, actually. Mm. Two really poor finishes and two excellent assists that most other footballers don't either see or persist with. So the first one, just a great pass through uh, for Coman and... The second one, I think for Musiala, um, 
where he just hits the byline and really aggressively attacks the byline as good as, as well as any winger would do. On Martial's birthday. And there's, there's a funny thing about Thomas Muller where he's like, we talk about the space find and all of that, but it's generally one of the most positionless forwards and almost like, I don't know if it's fair to say what a Kai Havertz could evolve into, but not I mean, the worst yeah. roadmap, not the worst roadmap in terms of their profile of style, playing style. Yeah, definitely. I want to give um, a shout out yeah. to uh, Eric Maxim Supermoting as well, who I thought was brilliant in this game. And yeah. again, it's just an example of what he can bring to, or why he's there and why mm. he was very, very uh, highly regarded by Thomas Tuchel at PSG mm. and why he's been a really easy fit at Bayern. His header for the first goal was so good. The placement, right? Yeah, and just the way that he links play still. I mean, I know we've talked about this quite a lot. And, you know, when you're stepping into a number nine role at Bayern after Lewandowski's left, people are obviously... It's like when... It always reminds me of when Giroud turned up at Arsenal after Van Persie had left for United. And yeah. people just instantly compare the two, even though they're different players. Mm. I just think he'd be brilliant in this game. Um, yeah, it was excellent. Leon Goretzka gave him a nice little shoulder massage as a celebration for his Aww. goal, which was cute. I mean, I... Why'd you get a massage off Goretzka? I stopped. Cool. <laughs> uh, so Dortmund beating Hoffenheim in, on Saturday as well, which meant that, um, yeah, they, they go level on points with Bayern at the top. Uni on three points back. Uh, RB Leipzig, 42 points after they beat Bayern Track 2-1. Mm. Um, Good win there. And yeah, yeah. And uh, Schalke closed the gap at the bottom after beating Stuttgart 2-1. So. Nice little run of results for Schalke. Uh, should we go to Spain? Because it was the Madrid derby this weekend. Yes. Not a classic. Really not. Fun for the purist. This was a gr- This was hard work, actually. Let's be honest. This was a hard, this game was hard work to watch. Yeah, see, I think I have a beef with, uh, I don't like, I don't like six out of 10 Madrid derbies. I either want it to be one out of 10, god awful, one of the worst games I've ever seen in my life, or I could take that if there were like four red cards. Right. Give me pure chaos or give me pure football. Don't give me a little bit of everything. I think that's completely right. This game was almost no. like, um, yeah, there are certain albums you listen to, or certain EPs where you're like, just towards the end, the last, it's like an eight track EP and then the last three or four tracks, the last two or three tracks are like, there, there it is, that. Go back and start the entire EP with that intensity. And I feel like this derby was like that. Yeah, this Madrid derby had too many skits. Yeah. Yes, it did. The last 15 minutes of this was really something because of course they did the classic thing of sending in the big guns to chase the game. And that's credit to Camavinga now, right? And Modric. They send, they send in Camavinga now to sort stuff out. Um, and him and Modric, Modric in particular, in those last 10 minutes were spectacular. Mm. Like, it's a thing in football, right? It's a midfielder where passing the ball into the final third, it looks quite easy. Oh, it's just a forward pass, like 10 metres. And it's easy until you see all the people that can't do it. So there's a space in the last 10 minutes where um, Atleti are 1-0 up and, and Madrid are chasing it desperately and other players trying to play the ball into the final third and they can't do it. And Modric is just doing it time and again. It's unbelievable. It's just yeah, like- I mean, we should probably like back up and say Jose Jimenez gave uh, Atleti the lead on 78 minutes and assist from Antoine Griezmann. This was like 15 minutes after Angel Correa had been sent off for an elbow on Tony Rudiger. Mm. I think it's a fair red. The hazard of doing that, yeah. not, worth the, not worth the risk, is it? Rudiger hit the deck. Yeah, there were, there, were, there, were some, there were some very dramatic reactions this weekend, it has to be said. Oh my God, yeah. Richarlison. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Um, but then uh, Alvaro Rodrigo is coming on and getting his first goal. Oh my God, Madrid. the joy. That was very wholesome. 
really wholesome. It was wholesome. Then 18 years old. Mm. God, imagine coming off to Real Madrid at 18 years old and scoring an equaliser. Unreal. Because uh, Barcelona lost 1-0 away to Almeria, not the worst thing in the world for Real Madrid. Barcelona were not good no. whatsoever. Eric Garcia and Andreas Christensen at the back is not a good It just looked really sluggish, didn't it? Really Yeah, sluggish. there was a lot of rotation as well after, after Thursday, but I think it was just because I think Javi thought that they could beat Almeria pretty easy, but yeah, yeah. that win gets Almeria out of the relegation zone. Uh, but the game of the weekend for me in La Liga, and I'm not sure if you watch this because you probably have better things to do, but uh, Elche 2, Betis 3 on Friday. I did not watch it, sadly. Oh my God, right. So let me just give you a quick recap because this was one of my games of the weekend. Um, early VAR penalty and uh, Elche then went 2-0 up after, after eight minutes. It was like really quick, two goals in succession. And then about 57 minutes, 56, 57 minutes in, it all starts kicking off. Lissandro uh, Malagan gets sent off for Elche. Uh, the ref then goes to the bench and sends off Czech as well, even though he's just sat on the bench. Um, and then maybe like six or seven minutes later, Ayose Perez is brought down. Uh, Borja Iglesias scores a penalty. Three minutes later, Iglesias scores again. It equalizes. <laughs> and then in the 85th minute, there's a penalty given for handball. Uh, and Iglesias has his penalty saved. Oh my God, would have been a hat of penalties. Yeah, no, it would have been two, two penalties. Uh, but then in the fourth minute of stoppage time, there's another penalty given to Betis for handball on Enzo Rocco, who gets a second yellow and gets sent off as well. <laughs> and then William Jose took the penalty and scored. And won the game for Betis. Amazing. It fucking, it was absolute carnage. <laughs> uh, but such, yeah, such a great, like, games like this always randomly pop up either on, like, the Friday or the Sunday night in La Liga, and they're always just absolute mayhem. They're always well worth a watch. I was watching Fulham Wolves that night. That's what I was watching. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Watch good, more calm. Not a bad good game, game not a bad game. Yeah, yeah, not a bad game at all. Um, all right, let's go to France quick, because it was uh, the big one. Yeah, let's do it. Marseille versus PSG, PSG winning 3-0. Another slightly disappointed marquee fixture from the weekend. But um, there was a moment, Musa, before the thrashing. The chance. When Nuno Savage went through from right back. Nuno playing right back. Having a good time uh, out there. He had a really good chance and um, kind of made a bit of a mess of it. Mm. Uh, but there was a stat that I saw from Marseille. What was it? Um, from Jean. Marseille fired 19 shots without scoring. That's their highest total without finding the net at home in League 1 since August 2014 against Montpellier. That's a wild start, huh? That reminds me, I was watching at the LA Lakers the other night um, against the Mavericks. They actually came back and won, but the first quarter, they couldn't hit a three for the first like 12 attempts or something. It's like that. You're almost like you're forcing it. Mm. It's like when you come up against a rival where you don't quite think you have the goods to beat them, that's how you behave. And that, there was a thing about Marseille um, in this game. Look at the quality of player they have, technically. Then you also mm. think, is there something slightly psychological in, in the defeat, in the nature of the defeat? And that sounds harsh because, look, PSG had Messi and Mbappe up front. <laughs> and, those two, and those two were, they, they combined for all three goals. Well, this well, is the thing two. as well. Sometimes, actually, you have to say that is the difference. And mm. I have to say this as well. I know people go like, oh, Moose, their, their footballs get paid well. There is something slightly surreal about the fact that these two were basically at each other's professional throats just a few weeks ago in the greatest World Cup final any of us are ever likely to see. And now they're just mm. playing. You know, it's unbelievable. Like, it's incredible how they can turn that stuff on and off. But Messi's, the Mbappe's um, second, was it? 
Yeah, um, the, the, the third, the third oh my PSG God, goal. Yeah. I mean, oh they were both, they were, both his goals are brilliant, but Mbappe's second, actually slightly similar to his one in, his, in the final, mm. but it was everything that was classic. It was the classic, like, it's almost the trademark Mbappe sliced volley, but just before that, the Messi lofted pass. That diagonal mm. pass that Messi started doing about a third of the way, you know, about half or two thirds into his career, well, it's like a base. It was like a. It was like a. The, loft, it was the, like the longest. It was like the uh, the longest in terms of time. One two. Yeah. Because like Mbappe plays it off to Messi. Messi takes one touch, and then clips over to Mbappe, who like left foot volleys it in. Oh, this was early in the second half, so basically it was two and a half time, mm. and then this goal completely killed the game. Unreal. Just the way that, that Messi's pass for the first goal, and then Mbappe squaring it for Messi to tap in for the, for the second goal. Messi should have had a. Uh, should have had a his second and PSG's third with that right foot. Yes, hilarious. <laughs> Messi, there's a moment where there's, yeah. a, there's a still where like Messi's tapping in and basically has to just do a little hop over Paolo Lopez and you can just see Paolo Lopez being like, not this <laughs> no, shit again. Paolo Lopez. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, Messi always finds him. You know, it's going <laughs> to yeah. you know happen. Paolo Lopez is going to like, just when he retires, he'll move to like some club in Argentina. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Messi will finish his career at Newell's and Paolo's just like, no. And it'll be like some second division team in Argentina. I'd be like, oh, I won't. Be. And they'll draw them in the cup. <laughs> yeah. A couple of other things about this. Kimpembe went off with a nasty looking injury after about a quarter of an hour and apparently it doesn't look too good. Mm. Um, so I hope that's all well. But um, Mbappe's second was his 200th. 200th goal for PSG, equaling Cavani as the top goal scorer for the club. Gosh, and how many games as well? Like, oh, uh, not... He didn't, I think it was 256. Goodness. Uh, but he's 24. Jeez. <laughs> <Jesus. laughs> Which goodness. is... Goodness. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's in five and a half years, I think. Or, uh, so, I mean, if he is at PSG for another five and a half years, which who knows, but if he's, I mean... He's got a chance to put that record completely out of sight and no one will ever get close Mbappe to it. Mbappe is such a strange one because actually he has answered all questions about his greatness. Mm. So now it's, very, it's going to be very difficult at the end of his career to place him in the ranks of greatest of all time. Like he's the kind of player who, even though he, mean, he might never win a Ballon d'Or, right? Because football's mm. just weird like that. But even if he did, he might be the greatest. Mbappe might be the greatest footballer never to win a Ballon d'Or. Oh, he will win a Ballon d'Or. You think he'll win one? Yeah, 100%. Just because you like, just don't know with these things. Just a quick shout, Napoli extended their lead to 18 points in Serie A. They won 2-0 at the weekend. Um, Osimhen went to the moon again. I know, they beat Empoli 2-0 and Inter lost uh, on Sunday 1-0 to Bologna, which meant that that's, I mean, that is, if it wasn't done before, it's now done, I think. There was a funny thing actually, very quickly on Napoli as well, there was a funny thing that happened in that game that summed up Osimhen's entire game. One of the MP defenders underestimates just how skillful Osman is. So he gets, he leaves him too much room. So mm. Osman does him with the dribble. And because he does him with the dribble, the guy forgets how strong Osman is. So tries and puts up a kind of weak challenge and he just busts through both of them. And it's like, whoa, that is honestly, man, whoever ends up with him eventually has got an absolute treat. Did you, uh, did you hear uh... Flo and I are trying to, trying to tempt Ian into a fake trade for him on, on Friday's yeah. Friday's house. Do you know what's so funny? That's become a bit, hasn't it? The yeah, fantasy yeah. drafts has become... Yeah. It's just see, it's like basically, a, it's just... The whole point is just to see who he will part with yeah. and how <laughs> much turmoil it causes him to, trying to make that decision. <laughs> well, so when I was asking him, because that was that thing going around on social media about would you rather keep Saka or win the league? And they were asking Arsenal fans outside the stadium. I think I can't remember who did it. I was asking him and then it was just like, 
you know, just kept up in the stakes to see, and he's just like, no. I honestly don't think Ian would trade the Jedi Council, the entire Jedi Council for Bukai Saka. He wouldn't do it. A uh, quick shout for the women's FA Cup this weekend. Big wins for Manchester United, Brighton, uh, Manchester City, and Lewis. All going through. Arsenal losing to Chelsea. Shout out to yeah, Lauren James, Tuna. man. Lauren James is amazing. The run she's also the run she's on. She's on a real yeah hot streak. Yep. Um, I imagine Flo and the gang will be talking about that on uh, Counter Press. Yeah, so yeah, go check yeah, that out yeah. if you haven't already. Yeah. Two League Cup finals this weekend. Do you want to do those now? Because uh, Manchester United ended their. Six years. Yeah, six years. Six years. It's so weird. Like it felt like no time at all. It's the Mourinho era, right? That's right. The Europa League, um, the two nil against Ajax. So it's come full circle because obviously we beat Ajax in that and um the former Ajax manager taking United to the mountaintop. Um Eric Ten Hag coaching this game beautifully. Really like against the very smart coach Eddie Howe. And just found solutions all over the pitch. And I think Newcastle will be slightly disappointed. Yeah, I do. Um, because I think, I mean, credit to David De Gea, like he kept them out well, but I think that maybe they slightly failed in the execution of their game plan, mm. but United were. Just, there was a kind of cruise control element. I think taking, there's two goals in like, you know, what, about five minutes in the first half really just shut the whole thing down. Coming from not the most unexpected sources, Casemiro has been pretty good in front of goal this year. So he got the opener and he was man of the match, I think. And then Rashford following up with a deflected finish. And United like should have, should have had three or four, to be honest, uh, because they go to up in the second half. Actually, they're very wasteful, I thought. And they almost now Newcastle back into it. But there was just a kind of, um, there's a great video actually, shout out to Tifo, the Tifo gang about United's game plan and just allowing Newcastle possession. I actually feel they allowed them slightly too much possession, weirdly enough, in the second half. And they yeah. almost... Almost got punished, I think. They almost did. Yeah, there was a period where if yep. Newcastle had got one, you could see them very quickly getting a second. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because the chances that Newcastle created weren't mega, mega clear cut, but they were just, there were a lot in volume. There was the, the, the Sam Maximum one, I think, was the one, because that save from De Gea is really, really, really good. Yes. And if that goes in at that time as well, was that after about half an hour or so? It's a completely different game. They made but, very um, hard work of playing out United on the right flank. And they weren't good. That's the thing they've got to slide out, slightly sort out. They, they deliberate slightly too much in their own box. Mm. Um, and with the exception of Casemiro, they're not consistently assured playing out from the back, I would say, in that midfield position. They're not that. Um, well, they need another ball player in there for sure. That was, that's the Ericsson thing, isn't it? Yeah. That's the Ericsson thing. Yeah, because when they miss him. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think for Newcastle though, just to, I want to give a quick shout out to Loris Carius because there was a lot of noise around his selection ahead of uh, ahead of the final and mm. um, Pope losing out, well, missing out because of his red card last weekend. I just think he did really well. Neither goal would have been, neither goal was his fault and I don't think uh, Pope says either of those. A great header from Casemiro and the deflection obviously is just... Yeah, it's a nightmare. That, it is what it is. Yeah. I thought he was really strong and I'm really glad this defeat can't be pinned on him. Yeah. It was just no drama yeah, yeah, none at all, actually. And I think that going into a game like that, especially with that much noise around it, and just, you know, all the fucking shit banter that was getting thrown around. To be honest, I, I hope that performance gets him a couple of, I hope there's a couple of uh, emails in his, um, his agent's inbox this morning because he really showed something, actually. You look at the pressure of that stage. Newcastle's first final in, what, 20-odd years? Yeah, yeah, since the late 90s. Huge deal, man. And, and like, he kept the score down. He really kept the score down. 
I mean, for Newcastle fans, obviously it was an amazing. It was amazing for them to be back at Wembley, um, and obviously with the new ownership and the amount of money that's going to be going into the club, it wouldn't surprise me if you saw them back there far sooner than another twenty odd years. We've seen. I mean, this is not wanting to be too critical of Newcastle. We've seen this performance. Is at three two nils now, isn't it? In 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 fighting the last three finals. To be fair to them, I think the resources are a key. If you just look at the sheer weight of firepower, the fact that United could bring in Sancho for Anthony, who had a strange game. There was um, he just deliberates too much in possession. He, you know, what it is. There was a moment out on the right flank which summed up Anthony. He defeated two defenders with incredible ease and then held possession. I'm like, dude, like that's the right yeah. there. See, the thing about Leo Messi, the thing that made Leo Messi incredible when he played as a winger primarily. Messi did this incredible thing, right, where he never took too many bites of the apple pie. Yep. He would beat one defender Minimalist. and then he'd lay, lay off a square pass and then move. Sancho as else, peak Sancho at Dortmund would fully fit and everything. Incredible thing, beat one man and then like build and bring the play forward. And the thing that Anthony does is, Anthony doesn't understand, I think yet, that it's not just about um, beating a man, it's about gaining ground. About making the right decision. At the yeah, right gain, gaining ground, gaining ground for the entire team. And I don't think he's got that yet. And there was a bit in the second half where, you know, he's a couple of times he's wide on the flank and Sabitzer breaks and, and Rashford breaks. And those guys are ruthless and locked in, right? They're not selfish for the sake of being selfish. They're the most efficient. I think Sabitzer and Rashford in particular generally make good decisions when shooting in front of goal, shooting or passing. And one of the reasons Anthony's not getting the ball in position, I think, is because he's not decisive actually he doesn't move does that make sense even his yeah, winner yeah. It's made, it sounds a bit harsh but even his winner against Barcelona brilliant finish great goal didn't, didn't come from like a team move it was him like it was almost like Anthony in microcosm brilliant goal but slightly on the fringes slightly feeding off the action and that sounds a bit harsh does that make sense or yeah, yeah totally we did an episode uh, during the first lockdown where the, the those conceptual episodes called the unplayables and it was mm. about players that on their day were completely unplayable. Yeah. But that on their day was not as often as it should have been. Yes. And I feel like Anthony's in danger of potentially falling into that category. I know it's, it's still his first season. He's still yes. young. Yes, yes. But I mean, like in terms of clearly the abilities there. Yes. And I've seen a few people get, I think discourse around him seems to be split into two camps about mm. like basically people just slagging off the show like the showboating or people mm. loving the showboating because football is entertainment and they like to be, you know, wowed. I feel like the truth is somewhere in the middle because obviously, yes. yeah, we love watching players do unbelievable stuff. But if you do a couple of kind of semi-pointless tricks and then you you create an opportunity to lay off a really easy five-yard pass that you then just scuff out of play, it's kind of just like, well, you know, was it necessary? Was it worth it? Did it actually, does it impact the team in a, in a, in a, in a positive way? Nanny had the same problem, but when Nanny worked it out, when Nanny worked it out, there was a thing where they were like, oh, yeah, the minimalist, there's, there's a, there's yeah. a bit where you, you, it doesn't, the thing about the exciting thing I think for Anthony is if you look how quickly Rashford improved, you know, obviously back from injury, but once he had, like he was fitted well into Ten Hag's scheme. I think I think Anthony is like I think he's six months away. Yeah, I think he needs because he came in quite late in the window and he didn't have a preseason. Yeah. And I feel like he, with that kind of price tag, you're very very keen to impress. So I, I get think it. That's, that's it. Too. I definitely get. But that. I feel yeah, like yeah. we know how good he can be. Mm. It's just about the execution, you know. But um, 
It's really like yeah. watching, it's really interesting to watch a young player adapt in real time, isn't it? Yeah. Watching them iron tough, out man. past the, yeah, watching them iron out past the like, game. Yeah. That's why we, we don't, we've said before numerous times on Stadio that players moving at that age for the, that amount of money, mm. we, we'd rather it didn't happen because of the pressure, you know? That's why I feel for Mudrick, to be honest, over at Chelsea, and it's a slightly mm. different story, but, you know, if you're going to move for that sum of money, and this is why I'm slightly, um, I'm slightly annoyed at the decision making is at Chelsea, right? Because if you bring in a player of that, at that expense with that profile, you need to have a clear plan. And it's not so much like Enzo, where Enzo, you can slot him right into midfield. And I think centre mid of all the positions to slot into, weirdly, it's one of the easier ones at a club like Chelsea because that, that midfield is not, it's not a problem area for Chelsea, yeah. right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I just feel for Mudrick because people can be joking about no goals, no assists, but it's not, it's a systemic problem, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, we've said this numerous times about Chelsea and I don't think my position on it has changed, even though I feel like they were really poor on Sunday against Spurs, but Spurs yeah. were, Spurs deserved to win that game. Yeah. yeah like yeah. massively. 2-0. Uh, and, um, yeah, they just, <laughs> there's, there's no point getting another manager in now because they're not going to qualify for the Champions League. Mm. So just commit to the bit if you like, if you're not, if that, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know if that's the right to, like phrase to use, but commit to, you've given Potter five years you may as well commit to it, see it through to the end of the season, regroup, maybe make a couple more signings, which they probably will do, mm. have a full pre-season. And then if this, if, if you're in the same position this time next year, then, then it's time to, to move. But Chelsea have always solved problems by firing and it kind of feels like they've got themselves into a position now where they can't really do that this time. Well, you run out of people to, the problem is you run out of people to, to hire. Yeah, um, and I don't mean there's there's not a shortage of managers, of course, because right, there was an infant supply, but there's a shortage at specific times. Mm. So you want to bring someone at the right time, and there's talk about Pochettino or whatever. But there's you need any any elite manager will want a preseason, mm. you know. So I think I think you're right to say that. Give it some time. Give Potter at least a few months to see what he can get out of these players. And we'll maybe touch on some other Premier League stuff later in the show. But um, before we go to a break, just a quick shout out to Celtic, who retained the Scottish League Cup. They did, yes. Uh, in a 2-1 win over Rangers in an old firm final. Uh, two goals for Kyogo Furuhashi. And uh, another trophy for Ange. He gave a lovely interview. And I, I think uh, it was an Australian um, pundit shared it and said it's quite bittersweet because he was talking about the passion that he had for football not always being matched in Australia. Of course, there's a huge passion for it in football in Australia, but he mm. said like overall, like he found it in pockets, but not consistently. And he totally feels at home in Glasgow. And it, there was something quite sad about that, that he had to move other side of the world to find exactly what he wanted, but it's such a great fit. And every time you watch Celtic, you see a passage of play or you see a performance that really is something that you would see almost nowhere else. The way mm. they move the ball around. I keep thinking of their defeat. and I hate to sort of bring up a defeat, on a podcast where we're celebrating a Celtic victory, but the Celtic defeat actually to Real Madrid before they went a goal down to that incredible counterattack by I think Valverde, I think it was, is some of the best football I've seen in Europe. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah the way they're they shift great, the man. ball around. Yeah, lovely they're great. to watch. Um, and they're also top of the league and, you know, I, I doubt that the League Cup will be the only trophy that they win this season. But yeah, props to Ange Postacoglu because he's, he's for real. It, I, I know it's, it's very easy to compare, but his... The way that he feels like he's celebrated and belongs in Glasgow and is obviously from a very, very different 
kind of part of the world and culture, it really does remind me a little bit of Klopp at Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, sounds yeah. quite throwaway, but how just like he embodies it. Maybe, maybe different because Klopp was already super, super celebrated, and I think Andrew was a bit of an unknown when he came in there. Mm. Oh, you do the comments? Do you a, wasn't wasn't as much of a, it was nowhere near as a celebrated as appointment at, at the time of appointing him. So he really has had to win over people a lot more than Klopp did. It's more like Wenger, to be honest. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, but I feel like in do you terms the of the noise around Postecoglou, there was the sarcasm. Yeah, definitely, yeah, oh. definitely. But in terms of like someone feeling like they get a city, mm. it's it really does feel like Klopp and Liverpool. No, that's a good point in terms yeah. of embodying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. yeah. Uh, anyway, let's take a break and then we'll talk about the Premier League white paper. Let's do it. The UK government, for those who are unaware, mm. released a white paper, they which did. is a document outlining proposed changes to, well, I suppose not even changes, basically, for the first time, to introduce independent regulation into football. Yeah. This is quite interesting because on the one hand, you feel like, huh, yeah, that's that's a good thing. On the other hand, it's very much kind of like, well, kind of depends who's doing it. Not it makes, lie. I mean, this this uh, paper, this white paper makes almost all of the right noises. Mm. And when I say almost all, I'm not trying to say that in a kind of, I'm not trying to sort of uh, downplay it. I think it makes all the right noises. I'll go, I'll be bolder than that. You read it and if you're concerned for the future of football, You'll read this and be like, ah, the people that have put this together have talked to the right people mm. and they care. They really, really care. And actually, can I say this? As someone who's been extremely critical of this government, um, it's actually a relief to be able to give, to, to, to look at something that's, that's emerged from this government and say, oh, actually, this is a document that I look at and think there are some smart people in that organization. Um, who care about these institutions because that hasn't always been the case. And this is, I've got to give them credit for this. The one thing I would say with this paper is, and you know, the, the, the central issue is that it, um, it advocates for the introduction of an independent regulator, which I think is extremely smart. My question relates to how enforceable this is because it says that its aim is to kind of, you know, preserve the position of the Premier League. We're very proud of it as a product that, um, is a leading product in world football. I'm not sure you preserve that position with some of the things they've adv- they've um, advocated for it because it's actually quite radical, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, so for those who uh, will not read the 99-page document, which I think could have been 45 pages. That's fair. Though you know how these things are, though. Yeah, when you get like a. a, a kind of like the instruction manual for a washing machine and like each part of the manual <laughs> says like the Bosch so-and-so washing machine is renowned for yes. being. It's like, yeah, 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 I fucking get it. Just tell me how I need to, you know, what happens if this happens, you know? It felt a little bit like that. But um, I see that, I see that. It was fronted by two uh, cabinet ministers, uh, Lucy Fraser, who's the Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport and um, Stuart Andrews, the Minister for Sport and Minister for Equalities. Now, there's a bit of a summary, so I'll just uh, read out some of the bullet points quickly. So, much like we did with the, uh, the Super League stuff a few weeks ago, the commercial growth of English football's top division is an achievement to be celebrated, it says. Mm. However, English football is currently endangered by the high and growing risk of financial failure amongst clubs, among clubs across its fi- top five tiers. The fan-led review of football governance, which we talked about in Stadio, highlighted the need for reform to address these issues. The government agrees that reform is needed and that government intervention is needed to affect this reform. 
The government will introduce a new independent regulator for English football clubs. To support this purpose, it will have three specific primary duties. Club sustainability, which is the final sustain- financial sustainability of individual clubs. Systemic stability, the overall stability of the football pyramid. And cultural heritage, protecting the heritage of football clubs that matter most to fans. Uh, the financial institution, the financial, in, sorry, the final institutional location of the regulator will ensure independence and proper accountability. Uh, for this reason, the government is not convinced that an industry body would be an appropriate home for the regulator. I kind of like there's there's yeah. a little bit of like really funny. Uh, uh, it's very well, dry. Yeah, legal it's like shade, a dry, hum- legal dry shade humor. Through, yeah. <laughs> basically, you can't look after yourselves, so we're going to have to do it for you. It's- uh, <laughs> Look, this is literally, however, the government is clear that this should not stop football getting its own house in order. So just because I'm helping you, it doesn't mean you still can't try and help yourself, you know? You can't, you know? Yeah. You know? Um, there's going to be a licensing system where clubs will need a license to operate as professional football clubs. Financial regulation will be the regulator's core focus and will be based on improving financial resilience. I think this comes in, in light of the, um, you know, Berry going under, which we talked about, Macclesfield Town going Derby under. Derby struggling, then, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, it also aims to address corporate governance issues in football, um, which I find quite interesting, and will establish new tests for prospective owners and directors of football clubs. Um, and it will also, apparently, the regulator will implement a minimum standard of fan engagement. Fans, It says fans are the most important stakeholder for any football club and both parties benefit from their involvement in the long-term decision-making process at a club. It goes on for the, there's other stuff, but uh, I find it it is actually quite an interesting read, and it's one of those things that you can kind of skim through and pick out bits that you want to take from it. But was there anything major that you took from it? Yes, it's the owners. It's the li- well, the fact that a license. This is the thing. This is a great summary. Um, shout out to Philip Buckingham at the Athletic did a great summary of this, and the bit that jumps out in the paper as well. It's the bit about the license. The okay. license. So basically, like. Um, all football clubs will have to obtain a license from the regulator, right? In order to like continue the business of being a football club. And like, it's almost like some of these clubs, not to name names, would not have licenses because they wouldn't meet these four thresholds. Yeah. These are thresholds about sustainability, fan consultation, and crucially, like the most crucial of those, the four is, is the ownership, the fit and proper ownership. And this is the wild thing about it. It's almost like, the horse has bolted on so many of these measures that unless you go back and say, oh, by the way, you don't have a license because under the new measures, you don't match up. It's going to very quickly lead to charges of hypocrisy. I think the happiest people are actually think as a result of this are going to be, weirdly enough, um, investigative journalists, Mm. closely followed by fan groups. Because fan groups can now go, hang on a minute, like under these measures, it's empowering in a way, in a good way. I think it's an empowering document because it allows journalists to poke around in more of the detail, knowing that potentially there's a regulator that might back them, if that makes sense. Um, so I don't know. I feel, I feel optimistic about it in terms of the short-term conversation it's going to improve, but I'm not sure I'm so optimistic about whether it will have teeth. The other interesting thing is that I think 50%, the way that this is going to be funded is by clubs themselves, right? On a revenue basis. So on paper, it looks smart enough, Mm. but you can imagine it leading to some kind of weird 
conflict of interest and lobbying. And it's going to be so interesting to see, because it's an independent regulator, right? But Mm. independent regulators are subject, like all of us, to pressure. So I'm fascinated to see how the lobbying, particularly in Premier League clubs, kicks into gear once this comes into place. But we'll see. I mean, there are a few things that I took away. The first thing was, finally, it seems that at an official level, we've got an acknowledgement that the football is a business thing is actually not applicable. Yeah, no, good shout. Good point. There's a line in it, which I think is really interesting. It says, uh, there's, there's a point that says, the free market will not rectify problems. Since football clubs do not behave like typical businesses, nor fans like typical consumers, fo- football does not function like a typical market. So a large proportion of the value of clubs to their fans and communities is not properly captured in the market. I might be wrong, but I can't actually think of anything at an official level that has gone been to the length to, be, yeah, to actually be like, yeah, this is a business, but people talking about free market and football just mirroring a wider free market of other business, it just kind of doesn't really work like that. Or when you see arguments for, you know, quote unquote, football is just a, it's just a business, it's just a business. I feel like now you're missing the point a little bit right. or when people, uh, and the, the whole section of this is really good. It's section 2.19 if people want to go and read it. The next paragraph is, as a result, private actors within the market do not fully account for the potential social costs and benefits of their actions. For example, when owners focused on short-term success take risky financial decisions, they may be placing insufficient weight on the long-term consequences of failure to the local community. Indeed, there is precedent for government regulatory intervention in other markets where service disruption, e.g., for example, through the failure of individual businesses, risk imposing significant economic or social costs. For example, financial services regulation or utility regulators. And it's like, <laughs> you know, I, what think that's actually, I think that's probably one of the biggest deals of the whole thing. These aren't just businesses that happen to be located in certain areas. They, they, they exist on a much more... It's social, it's community, it's, um, it's hard to quantify in just financial terms. And I feel like trying to protect them on that basis, finally, it really does feel like, even though this is great, and I don't want to kind of poo-poo the idea of, uh, of this at all, because I feel like ultimately this will be a really, really good thing mm. if it is rolled out in a, in a, for want of a better term, the correct way. But I really do feel that, I suppose part of this is just a bit, is a little bit of sweet for me because I feel like. I know what you mean. Where was this? Where was this 20 years ago? Yeah. And I know yeah. that it's very easy to do that in hindsight when you have something like this because everyone was wrapped up in the, in the, in the Premier League and the growth of the Premier League and the people at the top who were running the league would, should have been the people who identified this as existing outside of a free market and not running by the normal rules of business, whereas actually what they tried to do for the league itself is run it very much like a free market business. And people clocked, here's the thing, shout out to David Conn, a brilliant investigative journalist. People clocked this at the time. A yeah. lot of people were concerned about this, the breakaway and all the rest of the Premier League. There was a lot of concern about this. And I don't want to, again, I don't want to be uh, to belittle this as a, as a document because I think the diagnosis, you know, reading this through, I was like, I really agree with the diagnosis of the problems. Mm. And I even agree with a lot of the proposed solutions. I just feel, again, it's, and no, actually, let, let, me, let me be optimistic. This document has the potential to be truly radical. Yeah. 
and I think it has ups, you know, the, the fact that like David Sullivan's um, objection to it is that football will have to foot the bill for this. Well, actually, these costs are going to be negligible. This is, this is not going to cost a lot of money for this regulator. I think there's a flimsy argument. I think that the fact that it's unsettled a Premier League owner to that extent already without any further rollout says a lot about the threat that is perceived. This is a document that I think some people see it as a bit of a Trojan horse because it talks a lot about wanting to preserve the Premier League's position. But what it's really trying to do, I think, is redistribute and do something more radical. Uh, and I think if I was a Premier League club, I'd be slightly wary of this. I'm intrigued by how the, I'm intrigued by the, how the fan engagement aspect is going to play out. The fan engagement thing is really interesting because it's the thing in that it says it gives fans, uh, it doesn't explain or highlight exactly how that's going to happen, but it gives fans a veto on stuff like club crest changes or home kick, like kick mm. colors changing and things like that. Or uh, it gives fans, I think, uh, a say in where like, on club ownership. So if a club's going to be sold or a stadium being relocated and stuff like that. So there is a little bit more say in the fans. I feel that also though, that that is something that has to be carefully managed and has to be Structured. We look at ticket prices and away matches and stuff, you know, and away yeah. travel and like TV times and stuff. I, I just don't know. I'm just interested in terms of, and as a lawyer in the old days, you know, they, they would have these European uh, directors that come out. And in the first few years, you never knew how they were going to operate because there was no case law. Mm. So, what's going to be fascinating, I think, Ryan, is we don't really know yet. I think it's going to, we're going to need test cases, aren't we? We're going to need, yeah. let's say when a Premier League club has a new owner coming in and not necessarily Chelsea, but let's see a different, a, a different club, a Premier League club gets a new owner and that'll be the moment to see how the regulator then takes effect. And that's mm. going to be incredibly interesting. But until then, I mean, I'm optimistic about the document. I think it can go further in some aspects, but fundamentally I'm happy that there's a diagnosis made. It's ironic to see such a, dare I say it, woke white paper emerge from a government of this nature. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, they've become Marxists. Well, this is, an interesting, this is an interesting point that you raised because this is one of my concerns about it is this like, who, who is the regulator? Who, who does that consist of? Because, right. yeah. yes. And I'm just thinking on a, on a, I don't know, have you ever seen the Inside Out, the Pixar movie? I'm a little bit like the fear one being. I like, have not. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay, no. well, anyway. shout out to the, shout out to the Pixar heads. Um, if the same people are rolling out an independent regulator to govern football, uh, having trouble regulating the things that they've actually been regulating for a while, does that fill you with a lot of confidence that they will be the right people to yes? To do you know why? Like to, to do that. If you told me that a conservative government would have come out with a paper this forward thinking, I would have said no way. Honestly, mm. if you look at everything else this government is doing, if you'd said to me they'd come out with a paper like this, I'd have said no way. And that's what gives me optimism. There are some really smart people still within that building. There are some really smart people at local level who are aware of the social problems. And I think that, I honestly think, I think you're not going to be short of outstanding candidates to be a regulator. I honestly mm. believe there's a ton of people, football passionate, match goers, who are also, let's say, I, I would say, I think it should be lawyers, actually. Um, I'm biased towards lawyers, but I think that if you gave the right type of lawyer the real teeth and budget to do a good job. I think, I think you wouldn't be short of outstanding candidates to do this job. Actually, it should almost be like a council of yeah, people definitely, from definitely, various definitely. from backgrounds of various expertise, but also uh, mixed backgrounds, mixed kind of like careers. And it should be not just people who have basically been the CEO of whatever for so so and so, or served on the government or in the cabinet for this. What? Because remember, 
yes, this paper is coming from inside the government and that's a good thing, but this government also lent on the Premier League to approve the takeover of Newcastle United. Mm. It's kind of like, well, are those the kind of people who are going to be on the regulator and is that regulator then going to actually roll out that much reform? Mm. I know I'm being a little bit half empty here because I think that it is ultimately just to put, just to clarify my stance on it. I think the fact that this even exists at the moment is massive, massive progress. It has to be done perfectly because you will only get one chance to do this. And if they fuck it, then it's going to cause more damage long-term. I think that's right. I think um, you're someone who tends towards the optimistic. So when you're cautious, it gives me cause to pause as well. And the fact that in the white paper, there's no real objection to state ownership, which really is the kind of horse and carriage in the middle of all of this. That is a toothless proposition. If you're really serious about not only a financial sustainability, but uh, an equality within the game or a pyramid that's proper, you're not really allowing state ownership. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe it sound less pessimistic. I think I would s- summarise and, and wrap up by saying, like, I'm glad that this is out there and I'm yeah. glad that people are having the conversations about it. So much of how it's implemented will determine whether that's the case yeah, or not. Yeah, and I know I've said that um, a few times in this podcast already, but yeah, execution is everything. Yeah, totally. Um, on a let's let's wrap up on something positive. Oh, actually, we didn't even really talk about the Premier League. Um, I mean, we talked about Spurs' win over Spurs' win over Chelsea was probably the, the the biggest result of the weekend. Yeah, West Ham big win over Forest, much needed win over Forest. <sighs> I'm going to be a bit mean here. Okay, what are West Ham doing at that stage at that place in the table? It's not acceptable, Ryan. The quality. You look at who they had on the bench. Has Kamaka on the bench? Yeah, but Danny Ings started and. Uh, you know, scored two goals. This is what I'm saying though. I'm saying the depth. With the depth, you look at other clubs in, you know, who are struggling in the Premier League, they don't have those resources in reserve, right? Like, they mm. just shouldn't be there. They shouldn't be there, West Ham. And I don't know exactly what's gone wrong this season with them. I'm not, the systemic issues, I don't watch them enough. But each time I watch them, even when they've lost, I've seen passages of play where I've been like, no, 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 this team is being you know, David Moyes was an excellent fit there for a while, but isn't necessarily getting the best um, out of them at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's disappointing. I think maybe they've kind of gone under the radar in terms of the scrutiny that they've got this year. Um, but yeah, it's disappointing. Both, but but they, yeah. they were so impressive. Don't get me wrong. They were so impressive against Nottingham Forest. And I thought to myself, why, you know, why not, why not more of the same is all I would mm-hmm. say. Um, and I say that as someone that wants to see them really prosper. Um, mm-hmm. And I was really looking forward to them doing a really strong Europa League push this year. So, um, yeah. Um, just a quick shout out for Harry Grazia. got his first win as Leeds manager over Southampton. And uh, Ruben Sellers is confirmed. The roll neck worked. He got the permanent gig at Southampton. Wonderful. Wonderful. Knew what he was doing. Yeah. Good win for Villa. And I can just say very quickly, um, shame for Everton because they played some really good stuff in that first half. Yeah. Really, really good. So they lost 2-0 there. Palace drew in 0 with Liverpool. Manchester City beating Bournemouth 4-1. And Arsenal beating Leicester 1-0. Uh, we mentioned Goodwin, Fulham Wolves on Friday, one all. Uh, yeah, big loser of the weekend, VAR, absolutely out of control. Yeah. Out of control. Anyway, VAR is boring. It is. It Why, is. I think the independent regulator should just bin off VAR. <laughs> do you know what they should do? They should replace VAR, basically, and it should just be, if there's a controversial decision, they don't know whether to give it or not, they're just in the centre circle, because you think it's the, it's the perfect size. Just a gigantic Musuakwonga hologram. <laughs> oh my god, that's so holds, funny! It just holds the thumb horizontal, like Whacking Phoenix in Gladiator, <laughs> and it's just—is he going to go up or down? Is he going to go up or down? 
<laughs> he's not giving it his thumbs down. He's not giving it. Oh my God. And then, oh, he, just, what a then he just vanish again and the game carries on. <laughs> Do you know what's so funny? <laughs> I was going to say, VAR should be seeing AI, like chat GPT, <laughs> to make it really chaotic. <laughs> I mean, no humans. Honest, it'd probably work. It'd probably work fine. It probably would actually. Yeah, yeah. Probably would. Um, let's finish on a lovely moment, which was Besiktas fans at the home game to Antilia Spore, all throwing thousands and thousands of children's toys onto the pitch during the game as a donation to children who were impacted by the recent earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Oh, it was lovely. If you haven't seen the footage, go and go and check it out. It's it's really it's really amazing. Obviously, that that situation over there from the depth of the earthquake on February sixth is still very very severe. And if oh, well, I think we said it before, yeah. if you can donate to any organisations that are doing really good work over there, please do. Yeah, but yeah, it was just a really lovely moment. Obviously, in the country that's really going through it at the moment. I reckon we leave it there. For today, because otherwise I'll start start talking about Matt Hancock's video where he's wearing a shirt that he said he auctioned off a few years ago. Oh, I don't no. want to do that. <laughs> it's not going to that. <laughs> don't forget to check Stadio on Twitter, Stadio Football on Instagram, check mm. the ringer.com, check the Stadio Archers place on Spotify. Speaking of which, playing out on until then, the nineteen seventy version by Tracer Lee. Anything you want to add, Musa Kwonga. Nothing further. Right, and everyone, much love. We'll be back with you on Thursday. See you then. Thank you.